I'm Sunny Linarduzzi. Welcome to the Sunny Show podcast for the bright side of being your own boss and building your own life. My definition of being your own boss means showing up for yourself so you can show up for everyone and everything else personally and professionally. So congratulations on showing up, boss. I promise to support you on your journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Well, this is kind of a first for me. I actually don't even really know how to start this episode because this person has had such a massive impact on my life, my business, and my sanity over the last year that it's hard to put into words. And he doesn't even know it. This is actually the first time I'm even speaking to Mike Michalowicz. And I first heard about him and read his book, Profit First, a year ago. I read the book. Our team has implemented every step of the process. And nothing is the same as it was a year ago. I am no longer really involved in the day-to-day of my business. We have increased our profit. We have increased our team size by about triple. And we have increased really happiness and healthiness within our business as well. And most importantly, Mike was able to give me something that is the only non-renewable resource, which is time. I was able to get time back to do the things that I really want and love to do which I think every entrepreneur is looking for. So I am so excited because Mike has actually released a new book called Clockwork, which I will just straight up say right here, it is the new entrepreneur's Bible. If you've ever wondered how you can actually build a business that works on automatic, turning a profit consistently without you, this is a must listen interview because we're taking you through every stage of getting your business to run like clockwork and how you can actually step away from the day to day and enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Pretty much the dream, right? Well, it's not a dream. It's actually reality. And if there's one person in the world who knows how to illustrate this and tell you exactly what to do, it is Mike Michalowicz. So, If you've ever worried that your business will collapse without your presence or you're sacrificing your family life, friendships, or health, I hear you, I feel you, I've been there, and I need you to listen to this episode because I think it's going to make a huge difference in all of those areas. So if you don't know Mike, he is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, and what Business Week deemed the entrepreneur's cult classic, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and the former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Today, Mike travels the world as an entrepreneurial advocate, and he is globally recognized as the guy who challenges outdated business beliefs and teaches us what to do about it, and he's determined to end entrepreneurial poverty. And I'm going to explain what that is along with Mike in just a second. So without further ado, let's do this. First and foremost, I feel like I have pretty much told everyone about you before even having you on my show because I devoured Profit First. My mom, who does my books, has implemented it over the last year. We have 4X in the bank, what we did a year ago. And so we are forever grateful to you already, Mike Michalowicz, but we have a lot to talk about today too. (laughs) Wow. You know, thank you for the kind words. Um, but you know what I can compare it to is like I wrote a recipe, but you cooked it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're the one who actually executed on it, and that's the hard part. So kudos to you and your mom. She really does sound extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you. Well, your book came so highly recommended from so many entrepreneurial friends. And a lot of my friends actually who recommended Profit First oh, cool. um, are people that are featured in your new book, Clockwork. People like oh. Scott Oldford, who's a mentor of mine, yep. um, Chris Winfield, who you mentioned off the bat. And I want to talk about that because I thought it was really interesting. Fascinating, right? Interesting. Yeah, very interesting insights from Chris. So we have a lot to dive into. We're going to yeah. treat this as a mini training um, and basically break down the seven stages of getting your business to run like clockwork. And I know my listeners right now are just chomping at the bit for this information because it's truly, it's every entrepreneur's dream. Every entrepreneur wants to operation vacation and to go away and not have to worry about their their business. So before we dive in, I wanted to give our listeners a bit of background if they aren't familiar with who you are and what you do. So can can you give a bit of background to what brought you here? Yeah, yeah. So today I'm an author full time, but prior to this, and still I do run businesses. So I'm an entrepreneur at heart, started right out of college. I've been in the tech space uh, and and had the good fortune of selling a couple companies. One was a private equity exit. Another one was a fortune 500. But I think, you know, that's wonderful and all, but I think the real powerful story was actually, I lost all my money too. Mm -hmm. I became an angel investor 
And I went to a space where I had no clue what I was doing. I had no right to be in that space. I was packed full of a couple things, ignorance and arrogance. And that's a deadly combination. Uh, I lost all my money. Couldn't even, even though logically I saw my bank accounts dwindling, emotionally couldn't accept it until I was on the verge of bankruptcy and uh, lost possessions, lost my house, lost my cars. Didn't lose my family, which is everything, quite frankly. Now I appreciate that, but back then I didn't uh, get that. And uh, it caused me to restart. And there's a fascinating question I found, Sonny. There, there's actually a complimentary question. There's a question that we've all heard saying, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And it's a great question because we're allowed to fantasize about what our heart sings out to do. The only thing is we are precluded from doing it because it assumes we need all the money in the world to be able to achieve that. I found there's a second complimentary question. Uh, if you had no money in this world, what would you do? And when the same answer presents itself, when you would, if you're, you know, if you had all the money in the world, you would do it, but also with nothing, money, no money, it would be your vocation. If it's the same answer, that's your calling. Mm. And I always dreamed about being an author one day. And then when I was bankrupt, I said, or nearly bankrupt, I said, now I got nothing. What am I going to do? I said, I want to be an author. And I think I can make a life out of this. And when those two aligned, it became very clear that this is what I had to do. So I started 10 years ago. I'm an author today. And my life's purpose is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. This outward perception, like the day, Sonny, you started your business, all your friends are like, you're a millionaire and you don't even work. You like sit on the beach and drink Mai Tais. And the reality is you work your ass off mm -hmm. and there is no money. Mm -hmm. Like, like we have to scratch for every penny we make. It takes extraordinary time and effort, but the world doesn't see it. And that's why I call entrepreneurial poverty, this true impoverishment, yet the outside perception of wild success. And my goal is to fix that, to make true up entrepreneurs, for them to be flush with money because you deserve it, to be flush with time because you deserve it, to be able to serve others because that's what we should be doing. That's my mission now as an author. I absolutely love it. And it's truly the first time I had ever heard that term, entrepreneurial poverty, but it's something I'm familiar with being in this space for the last three years. I've had a business, businesses for 10 years, um, but really this business for three years. And I know a lot of people who outwardly look like they've got everything right. set up perfectly. And then on the behind the scenes, they're, they're crumbling and they don't have money to put food on the table, which is crazy. It's crazy. There, uh, someone, a friend of mine shared an analogy, which kind of uh, enlightened me to this. It's a poker analogy. I don't know if you ever played cards or poker, but the, the thing is this, if you have a strong hand, you actually bluff by saying it's weak. You play weak because you have nothing to prove. You actually want the rest of the table to stay in. But when you have a weak hand, you bluff strong because you want to scare the others away. And my friend's like, this is how life is. The people who are driving the, the super fancy cars and has the big house and they're trying to bluff their way to show success. Because it's actually the successful women and men who aren't doing that. It's the ones that you are extremely humble because they have nothing to prove. They know they've won. They have the internal confidence. They don't need to get it from the outside world. So it's fascinating how this entrepreneurial poverty works. The more impoverished entrepreneurs are, there's a greater sense to show off and that's a problem too. I'm and to, to get a, <laughs> just to get external validation for yeah, sure. external validation, which is very easy to do right now, just by posting up one photo. Oh so God. yes, yeah. that's a whole other story. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure another book of yours. Um, yeah. So I wanted to touch on this because um, I, I read your book over the weekend, and the very beginning. I mean, immediately, I think everyone who reads this will be hooked because it's so relatable. The story that you tell in the first couple of minutes of reading the book about this woman, Celeste, obviously not her real name, no. but I wanted you to share the story here because I think it sets a really good tone for why this book is so important for every entrepreneur to read. Yeah. So um, what I've done with my other books is I openly share my email, like in every one of my books and people are astounded that it's my personal email and I do my best to read every single one. Sometimes I get emails that are this long and, and I got to shoot through it. Um, but I love reading it because partially it's, it's my love. There's this book called The Five Love Languages. My love language great is book. words. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. It's funny. Like, as we're recording this, oh, I had it right here. I was discussing with someone recently. But uh, my love language is affirmation. So I love seeing uh, emails come in and, and listening to people's stories. But this one email, and I'm an emotional guy too, it just devastated me. It came in from a woman, we'll call her Celeste, who uh, ran a preschool. And she says, as I'm writing this, and the email... I received around 3 a.m. in the morning. I read it the next morning, but it was around 3 a.m. And it said, uh, 
effectively, I am working uh, at my preschool right now cleaning it. I'm scrubbing the floors while I have a double pneumonia because I can't afford to hire someone. I'm the only person that can do this and the school needs to be ready for school tomorrow. And in her email, she said she's, she is crying so hard that she's only stopping to cry because the tears are running out and she's too exhausted to cry. And she to conclude that letter by saying, I, effectively it's like a suicide note. I mean, she said, listen, I, I would take my life if that was a real option. But I have a family that depends on me and I know I'd be transferring the burden to them. And she says at the very end, something to the fact like if I'm single, uh, I'm done. <clears throat> and the second I got that, um, I've never been in that position before. I didn't know, do I call 911? I emailed her. Uh, I, there was no phone number. I was emailing back and saying, I, I, I don't know who you are, where you are. I just know your email address. Please respond. Never heard again. I don't know. And this is the scariest part. I don't know the conclusion of her story. I pray that she's seen through that. And that was just her darkest valley of her darkest day. Um, but sadly, I think it's representative of all of us, right? Mm-hmm. That's the problem. We've all been there. That there, there's this point of just raw exhaustion. And I found, I found that profitability is critical to the business sustainability. I found that time is critical to our personal sustainability. This mentality of you got to grind it out. You got to hustle more. I understand the sentiment, the intention behind it, but it's being received as working our asses off. And that is no life. We're going into Celeste's grave, so to speak. So why I wrote clockwork is to fix that. This is not about carrying a business on your back. It's about carrying a business on your brain. It's about organizing resources and people to get the results we want, not doing it all ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, there is a very toxic narrative of hustle, hustle, hustle. And I think what I often say to my audience is that you have to understand what stage of your business you're in. If you are a solopreneur trying to build your business, you hustling all day, every single day by yourself is actually going to be detrimental to you and to your growth in the long run. If you have a team of 20 people behind you, cool. Everyone can hustle on your behalf. So it really does depend on kind of where you're at and what your personal capability is without burning out. I had a massive burnout last year. I've talked about it quite publicly, which is why reading this book really hit home for me um, because everything that you're talking about is what we've been implementing. I wish I had this book a year ago Um, (laughs) and into freeing me from the business. And And I've been there too. Like I I was, and I shared my own story in this. I wore the workaholic badge, like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. I remember a conversation I had with a friend who actually was visiting uh, tomorrow, uh, calling him up and we're talking on the phone. He goes, Mike, man, I worked my ass off last night. I slept only four hours. And then I braggadociously responded and said, John, I only slept three, pal. Like the biggest tool, I'm the biggest (laughs) tool on the planet. I was bragging about my lack of sleep. And that's the mentality that's going to fail us. Absolutely. I believe there's a statue dedicated to what entrepreneurs aspire to really should aspire to be. And it's the thinker. There's that naked Roman guy, you know, with his chin on his fist, just contemplating. We devote far too little time to thinking and far too much time to doing. A hundred percent. Okay. I'm so excited to dive into this because every single entrepreneur on the planet wants to know that secret sauce. They want to know how do you run a profitable business without working all day, every day? It seems counterintuitive. It seems impossible, but it's very doable. I'm a walking example of it. You're a walking example of it. You have so many examples in the book. So before we dive into the seven stages, what I wanted to kind of preface all this with is two things that you talk about in the beginning of the book that I think are really, really important to understand as concepts before you can dive into really the seven stages. And we will link to the book in the show notes below because you guys have to read this, um, especially if you're just getting started. Like if you know this up front, oh my gosh, it would right, take yeah, big advantage, yeah. so much time. Um, so the two things are, first and foremost, can you explain what the survival trap is? Yeah. So the survival trap um, is you got to visualize uh, on a piece of paper, point A, that's where we are today, uh, and then put a circle around it. Then what I want you to do is in your mind, you can just draw the way out of point A. Now, the thing is, the answer is you can go in any direction. You can draw an arrow up or down or left or, or likely to the right, wherever you want. Now, what I want you to do is draw point B in the bottom left of that paper in your mind. Is it congruent with where you drew that arrow out of A? And for most of us, it's not. The thing is, the survival trap is we are in the struggle of today and any action we take, us, take that gets us out of point A saves us for the day. 
But the thing is, is it moving us to the direction where we intend, point B being our vision, our goal? Most of us take actions as getting out of constant point A, survival mode for the day, and puts us in a new conundrum tomorrow, and we take another action to get out of it. And what it does is it keeps us going in circles. Many of the actions, half the time, we're actually taking an action that's counterintuitive to our vision. It's moving us in the other direction. We don't see it because we're surviving point A. So that's what the survival trap is. And what we need to do is, and everyone knows this, clarity on the outcome you want to have. What's the vision for your business? But we have to take that second beat when we're making a decision, not just to survive for the day, we say, is this moving us in the direction of our vision? If not, this is actually hurting us and we have to realign a direction. So, so many times I hear people saying, I, I just need to sell something quick. Let's just have a, a discount sale. Really? You, you could be undermining your future sales. Is that a smart thing? Oh, I, I just need to hire a rainmaker. Maybe they can fix everything. And you hire this person and they drain you of even more money. We got to stop being in this reactionary mode and just have clarity on the outcome and have two beats in the, of thought of moving toward that as opposed to this desperate survival. Absolutely. Proactive versus reactive. I think that's, that's a right. really good basis for understanding. Oh, I could have summarized in one sentence. <laughs> No, I liked your experience. Um, but let's talk because I think a lot of the times too is like, and I've fallen into this other trap uh, that we're about to discuss, which is the productivity cycle of like, oh, if I'm just more productive, then I'm good. Like if I'm more productive, then I'm going to get more things done. And then the more things I do, the faster we'll grow. When really, and this is my buddy, Chris Winfield, who's been on the yes. podcast. I just saw him last week. I just adore him. And he had a productivity company, which this is why this is so interesting he had a productivity business and he in the book says like productivity is BS. So explain why. Yeah. So just to set up the story, I, uh, I go to New York city to meet with him first time face to face. I, I heard of him. He had this big productivity business and uh, people were telling me that this is, this is the authority or one of the major authorities on productivity. And I thought that was a solution to business. Obviously the more productive we are, the more we get done. Clearly that's the solution. So I meet with him. I go, and it took like a week. You know, Chris, it is oh, hard yeah. to get on his schedule. It's hard to right? nail him down. Yep. It's hard to nail him. I get him there. He shows up with one second to spare, typical productivity guy. And I say, Chris, I have my notepad there. I have a recorder going. I go, Chris, um, so what's your thoughts about productivity? He looks me square in the eyes. He goes, Mike, productivity is shit. <laughs> and I, I spit out coffee. I'm like, what? I, I, it, it, I was at a loss for words. And he goes, Mike, it's shit. He goes, here's the problem. Chris explained that the more productive we become, uh, we compress more in time. That's what productivity is. Taking a set of goals that we need to accomplish and compressing it down, getting it done more efficiently and effective. That's productivity. He goes, what happens then is it avails that free space now to do more things. So what do we do? We take on more. But if we take on more, we have to compress it more. So we're actually impacting ourselves with, with things we need to accomplish. All we do is stack and pack, and that's, that causes problems. If one thing goes wrong, one thing goes all right, the entire thing falls apart. There's this disaster that strikes. Here's the thing. Productivity is necessary. I'm not saying, like, don't be productive. Right. Hey, don't drive a car with tires. Let's go back to stone wheels. Right. Like, of course I'm not saying that. Productivity is necessary because that's how you stay in the ballpark, but it's not going to hit the home runs. It's the organizational efficiency that does it. It's the choreographing of resources in your organization to orchestrate them to work together toward a common goal that will achieve big outcomes. That's the home run hits. Productivity just gets you on base. Well, and I think it's like the intention behind productivity. And I'll just say for myself, um, when I was coming out of this burnout and really trying to figure out, okay, how do I get a grip on this? And what's the best thing to do? My immediate thought was, I just need to be more productive. I just need yeah. to make earlier in the morning. Yep. Um, I just need to get more done. And I think the intention behind attacking it like that is basically saying, well, let's just add more to the list, but do it more efficiently, which is not helping anybody. So I think it's coming at it from the standpoint of effectiveness and yes delegating the right things to the right people and the things on your plate, sure, be productive with them, be focused, but it doesn't mean you need to be doing all of the things. And productivity points back to that hustle and grind mentality. Again, I understand the sentiment, but I think it's being executed poorly. We're trying to carry businesses on our backs. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs are just trying to hustle and pull that business forward more and more. And that's not the solution because the second you have the, uh, the burnout or the breakdown or, or you're just sick for a day, or just want to breathe, the entire business collapses. And the more we try to take on, the more dependent the business comes on us, and, and the more of a risk we're at. 
So it's exactly what you said. It's about effectiveness. It's about choreographing resources. It's not about carrying the business on our back. Absolutely. Okay. So let's do this because I know everyone listening is super excited to dive into the stages of getting your business to run like clockwork. Let's start with what I thought was brilliant. It's called the four D's. So this is really phase one. So let's talk about the four D's. Yeah. So these are the different uh, stages a business goes through. And in fact, a business must be balanced between all these for the lifetime of the business. The entrepreneur though needs to navigate themselves through it. And it'll make sense as I explain it. The four stages of the business are this. The foundational stage is called doing. Every single business on the planet must be doing something that benefits its customers or an activity that benefits the benefit delivered to the customer. So the activity of whatever your service is is a benefit to the customer, but so is the invoicing and marketing and hiring people. Those are all activities that support the benefit to the customer. Mm -hmm. That's called doing and every business must do doing. Mm -hmm. The next level up is called deciding and the entrepreneur must navigate to this stage. Initially when they start a business, If it's just them, they got to do it all. They move up to deciding. But many entrepreneurs confuse deciding with delegating. And this becomes, therefore, a trap. Deciding is where I task grab at someone. So, Sonny, I may be your employee, and you say to to me, hey, Mike, I need you to go do some invoicing. I'm like, okay, how do I do it? And you say, here's our best practice. I come back to you 10 seconds later and say, Sonny, do you want me to sort by last name or first name for these invoices? And you make a decision on how we're going to proceed, and I go do it. I come back 10 seconds later and say, do you want me to bill in 15-minute increments or maybe half hours? You make a decision, and then I go do it. This is the trap in that the entrepreneur continues to be the sole mind for the organization, and the people are just hands. There's actually a Hindu goddess named Kali. And Kali, if you don't know that name, at least you know the picture, it's the one female face with the eight arms moving mm-hmm. back and forth. That's what our business becomes. And it's a trap. Actually, many entrepreneurs get so frustrated at our employees because our employees have an incessant stream of questions. We think our employees are idiots. Can they not figure this out? No, the problem is we're making the decisions for them. We have to go to the next stage, which is delegation. Mm-hmm. And most people misunderstand what delegating is. Delegating is the assignment not of tasks, it's the assignment of outcomes. Here's the difference. If you tell me to invoice, you're assigning me a task. If you tell me, and we agree to, it's important to bill our clients in a timely and accurate manner, that's the assignment of the outcome. You'll also say we have a best practice. Historically, we've done invoicing this way. It might be irresponsible to make sure we bill timely and accurately. As you go through this, if you have questions, if you see improvement opportunities, anything comes up, you are hired for what's on your head. It's your brain, Mike. Make decisions to bring us there. So it's the empowerment of decisions. And I think most entrepreneurs know this. We don't execute well on it, but we know it. Here's the two things you need to do. When the employee comes in and asks for a decision, because that's their nature, they'll say, but what should I do in this case? We have to deflect back upon them and say, you make the decision, which again, most entrepreneurs know, but don't execute well. This final piece, which is the most important, almost no entrepreneur knows. When the employee comes in and um, makes a decision, and they tell you what the outcome is, and it's a bad outcome, you must still reward them. That's That's tough. (laughs) That's tough. If if an employee makes a bad decision, you have to say, good job. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not the outcome we wanted, but the fact you did something that you felt was in the best interest of our organization and moved us forward, that's exactly why I hired you. Good job. Get back out there. Do it again. Got to reward bad decisions. If you don't do that, you unwind to deciding. You say, you're an idiot. You made a bad decision. I'll have to do this myself and move all the way back down to doing, in fact. So you have to empower our employees in true delegation. And that then stages us to leapfrog to the most important role that we can serve as entrepreneurs, which is the final D, designing. And designing is this. It's clarity on a vision, an outcome. And everyone knows that before you start your business, you, you see you can see your business being X million dollars and you can see what the space looks like and how happy people are. That's the vision. It's also the strategic and tactical decision-making that navigates us to this. Has competition sprung up? Is something not happening that we thought would happen? Is the economy shifting? All these different elements we have to take into consideration and say, how do we realign and choreograph our organizational resources Mm -hmm. to get to that vision? Keep us on pace for that. That's what designing is. And we need to do more of it. I love it. And I think what's really cool about designing, and and I love this term, um, is that it allows you to really sit in that QBR, which is the queen bee role. Um, But I think this is a really hard thing for people to find or figure out. So I would love for you to break down exactly how to navigate towards a queen bee role and who sits in this queen bee role. 
Yes, this is the queen bee role is the heart of your organization. It's the one singular activity that's the most important activity that you're actually hinging your company's success on. It's so few people know it, and that's why most businesses, we do so much to move it forward and it seems stuck. So we don't know our QBR. So this is a quick history background. This was derived from beehives. Uh, beehives have a singular role that the beehives survivability and thrivability depends upon, and that's the laying and production of eggs. The queen bee serves it, but I'm, but I'm not suggesting the queen bee is the most important bee. Uh, she is disposable. Uh, they will spawn new, bee, uh, new queen bee to produce eggs. What I am saying is the production of eggs is most important, and all the bees know that. Right. So every organization has it. Let me give you an example of an organization that we all recognize because this is a good way to get some clarity in the business aspect. It's FedEx, and FedEx has a brand promise. This is what their survivability and thrivability depends on. It's the one big commitment they make. And all of us have a brand promise. Theirs is the delivery of packages. And specifically what they say in their commercials is if it, if it absolutely positively must be delivered you know, tomorrow, we'll make that a reality. So the first question I have for everyone watching is, what is that one biggest promise you're making to your customer? What is that one promise that you're hinging your survivability and thrivability upon. That's your brand promise. Then we peel back the onion one layer and say, what's the one activity? That's the QBR. What's the one activity that makes that promise a reality? And for FedEx, they promise to deliver packages on time. That's the promise. The activity is logistics. It's the movement of packages. That's their equivalent of producing eggs. Those packages must be handled. So much so that nothing is more important. Like FedEx doesn't say, hey, you know what? Screw package delivery. Let's be all about friendly customer service. Right. Customers won't give two hoots about that. They'll say, you're not delivering packages on time and FedEx will go out of business overnight. FedEx knows so much that package logistics is critical is that whenever they struggle with it, and they do, actually every year they do, when they struggle with it, they reallocate resources. And every year during the winter holidays, all the celebrations that are going on then, package demand skyrockets. So what do they do? They take their managers out of the desks and get them in the trucks and start delivering. Everyone goes and protects the QBR. Mm. Our organization, you have to be very clear what's the one biggest thing you offer? What's the one biggest thing you differentiate yourself on? That's your brand promise. Then peel back the onion and say of all the activities you do, I know there's many, what's the one most important activity that makes that brand promise a reality? That's the QBR. Once you identify it, protect it at all costs. Make sure it's humming along at all times. Make sure every employee is aware of what it is. And if it's struggling, everyone's responsibility is to help make that come back to fruition and hum along again. Yeah. And it makes it a lot, a lot easier to align the entire team around really that one central goal as opposed to trying to navigate all these separate things, which I think can happen, especially when you are first building your team. So at least if you're clear on that, you know, everybody's roles. Yeah, if, if you say like everything's important at an organization, that really means nothing's important because right. not everything, it's got to be that one thing. And how many of your employees know what the heart of your organization is? I would argue for almost all businesses, no one knows. And I think the owner doesn't even know. Here's an example, a doctor's office. For most doctor's office, now the brand promise, what you promise is a declaration. You declare what you're going to do. And therefore that means the QBR, the activity that supports it is also declared. So, so a doctor's office may say, you know, it's, it's a thorough examinations that are what we want to be known for professional, thorough investigations, uh, examinations. If they, if the team sees the doctor not doing examination, but she's pulling files or she is uh, doing insurance claims or, or she's in the waiting room, greeting customers and patients, come on in. I'll be with you in a little bit. We've got a problem. So everyone needs to be attuned if whoever is serving the QBR, and it doesn't have to be one person, it can be multiple, but if the people serving the QBR aren't serving the QBR, we as an organization have an issue. Because if we're not doing any exams, I don't care how friendly the waiting room is, I don't care how many files you pull, we're not going to be productive in renting a service and not making money. Right. Absolutely. And so really the next piece, the third stage is protect and serve the QBRs. So yeah, which I already kind of dive into. Yeah. So I'll give you the this, this short summary. It's really about the education of your team and reallocating resources to make sure the QBR is humming along. Mm. Uh, in the book, I interviewed uh, actually a, uh, a hospital and there was a hospital, I won't mention their name, but I actually do mention in the book, who uh, had doctors doing every other activity, but the critical examinations. I mean, they were doing examinations, but there was so much demand put on them on research papers and doing this other work that the QBR suffered and the hospital really struggled in serving patients. 
to, to a deadly consequence. That's the problem. So once you know what your QBR is, once you declare it and choose it, that brand promise, the activity that supports it, everyone must be educated on it and it must always be humming along. And their job, everyone's job is to protect it and serve it. And the next step, which is something that we started doing, I would say a year and a half ago and has been the biggest game changer in our business. And I can't recommend enough, no matter what stage you're at, if you're not doing this, I would say this is like ASAP, start doing this now, is capturing systems. So can you oh. explain, explain what this looks like for people? Yeah. So I, as I was doing my research and clockwork took me uh, six years to write this book. So as I'm doing my research, I look at how do businesses capture systems and I start coming across SOPs, standard operating procedures and checklists. And then I, I start validating like how effective are these and found they were woefully ineffective. In fact, most businesses, especially small businesses, struggle to write SOPs. It's tons of documentation. And then people don't read them. Right. They sit there and they click dust. It's like, oh my God, you pull your hair out for nothing. Um, what I found is there's a more effective way. And what it is, is the capturing of activity as it's done and then the transfer of it, which means, say, instead of me writing how to do invoicing, and this is a true thing, in-house in we started doing SOPs because I thought that was the right solution. We have a shipping procedure. I wrote it down. I gave it to my colleague to do the, the shipping procedure. And that same day, UPS updated their website and we couldn't even log in anymore. So the SOP was no longer relevant. The new way to stay up with the changing technologies around us and to do this more efficiently is by recording the activity as we do it. If it's on the computer and I'm doing an invoicing process on QuickBooks or something, just use you know, some mm -hmm. screen capture software. If, if it's an activity like a phone call or a sales call, use some recording software or video with your smartphone. Capture it and then transfer the captured video. And it's very simple. It's very obvious to do it. The nice thing is you're getting the work done as you're doing it and recording the activity. Now you give it to someone else, they follow it step by step. But here's the magical little hook at the end that people also don't uh, think of. Once you assign to that next person and, and they're now doing the process to your standard, have them record the next video with the improvements, right? Because they own the decisions, uh, improvements and ads, ads, but have them record the next video because ultimately the best student is the teacher. They will learn it mostly when they teach it. And that's why you want them to make a video. Absolutely. And what we've done within our, um, our organization is that we have an internal course. We have a course platform we use for our products and services that we sell outwardly, but we actually create an internal course and we're constantly it. updating it with screencasts of our people doing what they do just as insurance, just in case someone needs to take a vacation or like right. whatever. Yeah. And I think the one thing that I will say in real time that we've found really interesting with our team is that there can be some resistance to doing this because immediately people go, well, wait, wh why are you going to fire me? Am I? No, right. So I think it's important to explain. It's not because we want to replace you. It's because life happens and we don't know what's going to happen. And we, we want to just make sure that if you want to take time off, you want to take a day off, a week off, a month off, for whatever reason, we're able to still do what you do. Absolutely. And, and also we, we tell our team here, we're not looking to replace, we're looking to elevate. Yes. And what we'll say is, listen, once this role is captured, if we can move it to another person um, that, that we can compensate at a lower cost point, that means we can use you a critical resource at a higher level, mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome. And, and that's actually happening constantly at our office. The, the thing though is ultimately we are judged ultimately by our actions, right? Mm -hmm. So if we say, listen, I'm doing this to elevate you and I fire the person, word will get out pretty quick that this is a mechanism for getting rid of people. Right. So, so you got to be, you got to ensure the people that are helping build the systems will always have a position in your company. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the next phase is balancing the team. Again, I think something that is a bit tricky, especially when you're new to it. So can you explain the process for how you do that? Yeah, most businesses match, try to match traits to titles and discover that was a, a fatal mistake. For example, I may say we need a receptionist and a receptionist needs to be a friendly voice, a pleasant greeter, has to do some data entry and some invoicing. Maybe that's our definition, right? And so we interview someone and maybe this guy is like a wonderful greeter, a friendly voice, but God, does he suck at invoicing? Mm -hmm. He doesn't qualify to be a receptionist. But is that really true? You know, a receptionist, we have to identify what's the primary function that a receptionist needs to do. Well, for us, we have tons of inbound phone calls. It's really good, good phone voice, right? Mm -hmm. The funny thing is we found that in our sales department, we need someone with a really good phone voice too because sales is 
uh, is education, greeting, and at a certain point, there's conversion. Mm-hmm. So that guy is a fantastic part receptionist, fantastic part uh, salesperson. Instead of matching traits to titles, match traits to tasks. Mm. That's the goal here. And instead of having the traditional structure where you have the president, you know, and then all the sales manager, legal department, don't have a web structure where you're matching people's strengths to the needs you have in an organization. And it's much more webbed. In fact, here, we struggle to even come up with titles because people are so webbed together. Now, we're a small organization. We just hired our 11th employee, so we're tiny. But even that, like, there, there is no president. When we need to do a sales call and if someone needs to hear the word president, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's my partner, sometimes it actually is our receptionist because mm-hmm. that just works out better to make that right. person president for the day. Titles don't matter. It's matching traits to tasks. Put the best people up to the best requirements uh, for it. And then you'll see the strength is much stronger than the traditional model. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great new way of thinking about it and much more effective, I would say. Um, next phase, uh, second to last, is the commitment. Yeah. And so this, this sounds totally bass backwards when you hear this. <laughs> the commitment is selecting the community who's going to benefit now from this company we've built, which sounds totally backwards because we all know first you got to figure out what the, who the customer is and what they need so you can deliver it. And I'm saying figure out what you're delivering and then the customer. Mm. Now, here's the thing. As we're going through a, the streamlining of our business, doing this clockwork process, we are serving our existing customer base. But what you'll find as you make your business more and more efficient that you have a strong capability in a certain area. Usually, it's what we're most interested in and get the most joy out of. That's where our biggest strength is. You'll notice that certain customers benefit from that the most and other ones don't. Once you identify what your inherent strengths are as an organization, identify a customer base within your existing customers who benefit most from it, and then over-cater to them. Try to grow that community. We have to start with you, not them. Now, there's another popular saying out there called pivot. They say, figure out the customer wants, serve them. If, they, if their needs change or you're not doing what they want, keep on changing who you are and what you are to match what they want. Mm-hmm. And I call BS on that. I've seen too many business owners say, I do what customers want, I make money, but I effing hate my business. That's not the goal of the business. We have to find what we love and then not pivot, but align it with customer needs. Always be congruent with your needs and the adjusting customer needs. Stay in contact with who you truly are and you'll be the strongest company in the niche. Yeah, it's so, that's so valuable, so important to hear because it is, it's so easy to just forget about what you even want or why you even started the business or what you enjoy when you get caught up in, especially when you have a team because you're like, well, oh God, now what am I supposed to do? I, I feel completely out of alignment, but I got to oh. pay the team. And then it's just this rabbit hole of stuff. Clearly I've been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that that commitment is really important to navigate through ASAP. Um, final step is business on automatic, truly the entrepreneur dream. So yeah. let's, let's explain exactly how you get to this final stage. So th- this is the, the final and, and biggest and most important bold step you need to take. And what it is, is having the business run in your absence. Mm-hmm. You see, a business is most valuable when it doesn't depend on you whatsoever, right? Because when a business can run in your absence, that means, first of all, if you fall ill or get tired or just want to take a break or or, or whatever you want to do, that you continue to generate income and the business continues to thrive. Secondly, from outsiders, that's the most valuable business too. When it doesn't hinge on a person, it is extremely valuable. Because listen, if I want to acquire a business, I don't want to acquire a company that if the owner leaves, it's dead. That's of no value. I want a business that if the owner leaves, it continues to thrive. That's an asset that I want to consume. So for the outside world and the internal, it's the best. But how do we pull it off? And this is the key. This is the bold commitment. Take a four-week vacation. And here's, I'm not saying like tomorrow morning, wake up and go on a four-week vacation. <laughs> Bye. See ya, see ya. That's not a good move. But what I am saying within a short time frame, but reasonable, a year, max two years, dedicate four weeks to be physically and digitally disconnected from the office. Now, here's what's going to happen. And, and I've now have many clients have gone through it. I'm actually going through my next one in, in three months. I'm heading out for, for, for a month. When we digitally disconnect, the mind shift that happens, or at least when we commit to it, the mind shift is like, oh my God, now how am I going to pull this off? And that's what we want to happen. Now we got to start 
looking at our team. And maybe we're a team of one. Maybe it's just us right now. So that means it's our, our contractors or vendors that we use that we have to put into place. Maybe it's software or other kind of automated processes that we have to put in place. But we start thinking differently. And that's the starting point because we want to move from doing work to designing work. Mm-hmm. Then we start going through testing sequences. You know, maybe three months from now, we're going to take our first one-week vacation. We're going to leave, digitally disconnect. We're going to come back and we'll do problems. Yeah, there'll be problems, but it's only a week away. You can usually navigate through it. The problems that present themselves are the things you need to fix. Mm -hmm. Fix those things, and then we do our next one-week vacation. How do we do this time? Then we take the bold step of taking two weeks out of the office and keep building it there and ultimately take four weeks away. Will it be perfect? Probably not. There may be issues, but when you can leave for four weeks and your business is sustaining, that's a business that can run on its own because every business that I've studied experiences every element of the business within a month cycle, four weeks. Invoicing, new clients, uh, maybe hiring someone, admin, all this stuff happens. So that's what we want to move toward. The other thing is this is an empowerment of your team. So if you have employees, leaving means that they are now in charge of the business. You'll see who will step up. You'll actually probably be surprised how many people will step up. You'll see the people who step down. It's the people who step up or who are your best employees. So it's a great way also to strengthen your team. Totally. It's funny because I was having a conversation with my COO, who everyone listening probably knows quite well. She's been with me from day one, started as an intern, and now is running the business. I love and it. she's amazing. And I was talking to her on Monday, and um, I took a full week off, completely unplugged in August. Nice. I do that every August. It's a mandate for me. Um, and this is truly the first time where like, I didn't check email. I didn't check Slack. I was completely disconnected. And she, she kind of really gently said to me, she was like, you know, I think it's really good when you go on vacation because like I can actually do the things that I look that I want and need to do. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to say that I metal, <laughs> yeah. but I get it. Like it is at the end of the day, it's your baby. Your business is your baby. And it's really hard to understand and take your ego out of the equation and be like, this thing can't. It is. Go. It is. And I actually want to uh, just pick on a little phrase you use there because it's so common and it's a new thing I'm challenging. We all call our business our baby. I actually mm-hmm. call my business my baby for the longest time. And the analogy is this, you know, we gave life to our business, a baby. Mm-hmm. We are now nurturing it. We are uh, grooming it, but over time, it's going to mature and strengthen, and we expect for it to come back and return to us, uh, to serve us, and the reality is it never does, and here's the reason why. I no longer think we have a parent-child relationship. I think it's actually conjoined twins. Mm-hmm. I think that's the better analogy. We, we've given life simultaneously, effectively, to a business. We share critical organs. We definitely share a soul and a heart. We share legs. As we go, so does the business go and vice versa. Therefore, the separation is very surgical. And that's the realization I want people to have in this analogy. Because in the parent-child relationship, we're like, oh, one day, one day it'll have legs of its own. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that'll never happen with conjoined twins unless you surgically remove yourself. And that's what these vacations start doing. They mm-hmm. start disconnecting us mm-hmm. slowly and safely. And uh, here's, here's the thing that will satisfy our ego. You may be physically disconnected, but your soul will always be shared. And that's where our ego needs to be fed that it's always going to be our soul in this organization. And we have the ability to participate in a way of directing that soul, being the cheerleader for our organization, being the visionary. And that's the most critical role I believe we as entrepreneurs can serve. So well said. It's like you've said this before. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I do say in the book. Yeah. Just had this conversation a few times, I'm sure. Um, I just wanted to kind of like, we have a speed round coming up, which is very exciting and I hope Uh-oh. you're prepared for it. Um, but before I, we dive into that, I just want to say this book is I really do mean this. Like it's a must read for any entrepreneur. This and Profit First. Thank you. Been game changers for me. Um, So I can't recommend it enough. Again, it's in the show notes below to go grab it. Um, And I think it's important to understand that this sounds like a lot right now as we're talking through it in 45 minutes, but it does take time. And, and I think right. that's okay. It's, it's going to take time. It's a process, but it's going to be a very rewarding process when you get out on the other side and you start implementing all of these pieces. And the sooner you start implementing them, the sooner you can find that freedom. I, well, thank you for saying that. And I, I agree. I agree. It is a step-by-step process. And actually, in the conclusion of Clockwork, or one of the final chapters, I do have the entire rollout of this over a year and a half. Um, so it's a slow, methodical process, but it's very deliberate and we, we, we have to start today. Yes. It's a step forward. Yes. So important. Okay. Are you ready for the speed round? Oh yeah. I think so. I mean, okay. are we going to do speed? Because I, 
I'm already hyper enough. If we're doing so, speed, am I? I can't even drink coffee. Are you kidding me? Okay. I'm I have super hyper. So. Okay. All right. Then I'm, okay. Then I'm so in. the point speed. of the speed round, just fastest answer possible. It doesn't have to be one word. Okay. Okay. Outside of clockwork and profit, profit first, what's the best business book every entrepreneur should read? Uh, the war, the the War of Art, not the Art of War, the War of okay. Art oh. uh, by Stephen Pressfield. Great. I've never heard of that. I'm going to read it. Fascinating. That art, the creativity of, of entrepreneurs. Love it. What are your daily non-negotiables? Uh, exercise every morning, 6.30, biking, lifting, uh, and praying. Also, I, I, have a, I found this thing called a singing bowl, which here's the quick oh, funny story. I love those. Okay. So here's the funny story. I, was in, I traveled through India uh, about six months ago, speaking all over the country. I went to 10 cities. This one guy presents a singing bowl to me as a gift. I'm like, oh my God, why doesn't everyone in America know this? This is the coolest thing ever. Well, it ends up everyone in America does know it. I was the one guy who didn't. Um, they're at every like tchotchke store on the planet. Oh yeah. These things are amazing. You hit it and it rings and then you can just keep it ringing for hours. And what I found is it's such a tactile experience mm -hmm. that it actually for forces concentration and I can pray or meditate much more effectively with that action as opposed to just trying to think that you know? I totally agree with you yeah it yeah. kind of forces you to get into that zone yeah. um what are you grateful for today uh my wife oh that's nice favorite kind of music to listen to when you work out uh it changes constantly this morning I listened to a band called metric and there's a song called metric. breathing underwater mm -hmm. it's freaking I listened to it like four times in a row it's pretty badass <laughs> it's like a a modern techie kind of song that's awesome. People's musical choices always shock me. I love this. Okay. Best advice you've ever received from a mentor? Oh, easy one. My mentor looked me straight in the eyes when I asked him a question and he said, I'm about to tell you the answer, my answer, but do not listen to a word I'm about to say. And it kind of threw me off. I was asking him about my customers. I said, what do you think my customer base wants? And he said, Mike, for God's sake, never ask a mentor that because I don't know. I'm not your customer. And he said, too many entrepreneurs are asking experts what the world wants and the expert is the customer. Mm -hmm. He said, never listen to people's words, only listen to their wallets, meaning their actions. And uh, that really woke me up to, to pay attention to customers. Yeah, it's so important. What are the three main characteristics of a successful entrepreneur? Humbleness, um, outrageous, I was gonna say stupidity, but really it's, 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 it's an outrageous ignorance, which is a, it's a beautiful thing. Ignorance is not good. Outrageous ignorance, because we believe we can pull off the uh, miracles. So mm -hmm. humble, outrageous ignorance and calling. I, and I think many people miss out. Like what, what are, and I'm not saying this from a biblical, if you're religious, I am then saying it that way. If you're not, when I say a calling, I just mean a, 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 a unquenchable thirst to serve in a certain way. Once you identify that for yourself, you are unstoppable. Yes. What's the biggest lie about online business? Oh, that they're millionaires. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you drive, you fly that jet mm -hmm, that you have like in your green screen behind you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pulls no punches. I love it. What are you most proud of in your business? Uh, my employees. Like that almost bring tears to my eyes. I, I would literally take a bullet for any person here. I love my team. I, they're amazing people. That's awesome. What are you most proud of in your life? Um, probably my children, they, cause here it is. My, my son, uh, is caring for animals. That's his, my oldest son. He, uh, he goes out when, I don't know if you ever saw like construction sites and crews come through, but before there's some guy in the fields, like looking around, that's my son. He's, uh, finding snakes and rats or whatever's out there to protect them. And, uh, there's no money in that business. And I'm proud that he's not pursuing money. He's pursuing his heart. Oh. And that, that lights me up. That's beautiful. What is your definition of being your own boss? Um, well, it's, it's the definition of being my own boss. I guess it just means serving my calling, which I, I wanted to avoid that because I already spoke to it. But I think I know why I'm on this planet. I've defined it for myself. And every day I take an action that supports that. And it brings me so much joy. There's one time in my life that I was an employee when I sold my second company. It was acquired by Robert Half International. It's like this big Fortune 500. And I had to kowtow to what other people wanted. And I, it was the worst year of my life was being an employee. I love that I can always do what I feel is the right thing to do.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I had a similar experience and I just <sighs> <didn't really sighs> that. It's like I get claustrophobic feeling thinking about it, but yeah, totally get we're it. So we're so unhirable. The worst <laughs> words we can ever hear is when someone says we should just get a job. Like <sighs> no. You know, it's like, like a knife in our heart. It really is. Well, that was the speed round. You did amazing. Thank uh-huh. you so much. This was you passed. Oh, um, yeah. this was so valuable. And I would love if you're listening and this resonated with you, make sure that you share it out, put it on your stories on Instagram. I'm I'll be sure to always share them on my stories as well. Um, tag both of us and make sure that you tell our audience as well where they can go find the book and where they can find out more about you and all the things that you do for entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, uh, so I've, you can get the book on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or the airport or whatever, but, uh, here's the Mecca. It's my website. It's mikemichalowitz.com. I get it. No one can spell Michalowicz. I get it. It's long. It's Polish. It's ugly. So two shortcuts. You can go to Google and just type in Mike, M-I-K-E, spacebar, Mick, M-I-C. The second you type that in, the long Polish name, that's me. The better shortcut though is my nickname in high school is Mike Motorbike. Uh, (laughs) I kind of laughed because I've never driven a motorcycle, but if you go to MikeMotorbike.com, MikeMotorbike.com, it'll bring you to my site. All my books are there. Downloads. I'm a podcaster too. Uh, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal for years. You can get all those articles, uh, blogs, and other stuff. Plus, I promise you a site that you've never experienced before. I think you'll be surprised and ha- have a lot of fun on how different this site is. I just love that you can get there by MikeMotorbike.com. Yeah, MikeMotorbike. That's, like That's the only greatest. Wait till you get to the homepage. You'll be kind of thrown back. That's the greatest shortcut ever. Awesome. Thank you so much for such a value-packed interview. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing for entrepreneurs. It's such important work and your books are amazing. Sonny, thank you for the kind words. It's been a joy being on your show. Thank you. I mean, I really feel like this episode offered me a breath of fresh air, and that's usually how I feel after I read any of Mike's books, so I can't recommend them enough, and I can't wait to hear what you think. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it out on social media. Make sure to tag me on Instagram, and I'll be sure to share your feedback on my stories as well. That's at Sunny Leonard Doozy, and this episode, as mentioned, was sponsored by Four Sigmatic, which is my favorite new morning and nighttime drink. If you want to check it out and grab some mushroom coffee for yourself or check out some of their cacao blends to help you chill out at night, make sure you head to foursigmatic.com slash sunny. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash S-U-N-N-Y and use the discount code sunny and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, you know I don't share anything unless I totally believe in it. So I can't wait for you to give it a try. Thanks for listening, boss, and I'll see you or talk to you in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it with your fellow bosses. Congratulations on showing up for yourself today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.